Welcome to an inspirational teaching by our guest speaker of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. Now I'm going to be reading a paragraph from Romans chapter 8. And I want you to closely follow this in your Bibles. Now one of the things we must know, all of us who are committed to reading God's word, is that verse divisions, chapter divisions, they came much later maybe from the 12th century onward, so that people could refer to a certain verse. Before that, uh, copies of the Bible were so expensive that actually in Western countries, which have been influenced by the faith in Christ, listen to the Bible every day. On their way to work, they would stop in the church. There'll be a certain reading of Scripture. They'll go and work. And on their way back to their homes, they'll again go to the church and listen to God's word. And they were able to go through the whole Bible in a, uh, once in a year. Now that we have more Bibles, of course, we had to have references. So we introduced chapter and verse divisions. Now, addition to that, now our translators give certain titles. Now, the paragraph I'm going to read in my NIV has future glory as the heading. Now, those headings are also not in the early manuscripts of the Bible. They are intended to be helpful, but sometimes it can be very distracting. But I'm going to read only that paragraph, beginning at verse 18, and up to the end of that paragraph, which is 20, uh, 27. Uh, but I want you to follow this, because as we, I speak from this, I would also relate to other verses in chapter 8. And that's one of the reasons why I gave this introduction, that you should not be distracted by verse divisions, even chapter divisions, and these headings that you have in your translations. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, for creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as children, the redemption of our bodies. For by in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit himself helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, for the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Now you would have noticed that the word groaning occurs three times in this particular paragraph. You first see the groaning of creation. 
Secondly, we see the groaning of ourselves as Christians. And thirdly, the groaning of the spirit. Now, the Greek word for groaning is tenotso. And those of you who may be from a medical background, you would notice that stenosis, mitral stenosis, is a heart condition where the mitral valve is groaning because it's not able to operate properly. And this picture is actually taken from Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, when after their disobedience, God is telling Eve that she will experience uh, intense pain in childbearing so that she would groan. So the total point of this paragraph which I have read is about groaning. And I hope you are not groaning now. Why is this LT chosen groaning as a topic for a Sunday morning service? I want to tell you something. This morning I was checking out the title of a book about which I had heard some time ago. It is written by a very popular international preacher about some of whose teaching we cannot simply agree. And he wrote this book, Destined to Reign, The Key to Effortless Success. Destined to Reign, The Key to Effortless Success. You know, this whole understanding that somehow has come down to us, sometimes it's part of it is prosperity theology, but the fact that your walk with God, your hope in God, your life in Christ, your desire to be holy, they are not effortlessly achieved. And if you carefully read the words of Jesus, and of course I'm referring to uh, Mr. Joseph Prince, and he has a very interesting way of interpreting the Bible, which we cannot fully agree. Whatever Jesus says, he says it was before he died. Therefore, they are not applicable to us. So if you say you should take up your cross and follow him, if you, de you should deny yourself, uh, he would say that doesn't really apply to us. If Jesus should say that uh, wide is the gate that leads to eternal destruction, narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life, he would say, oh, that was before the cross. Now, that kind of reading the Bible is absolutely dangerous, and it is disastrous for our Christian life because it completely misrepresents God to us, and it completely misrepresents Christ's command for us to be his disciples. A disciple means a discipline, but in the Greek for disciples is mathetes. It comes from mantano, which is to keep learning. One of the things I enjoy about the leadership of Adonai is that you are willing to learn, although God is working mightily through various arms of the church, you are still wanting to learn. And so this whole idea of effortless living is not a biblical idea. I want you to have that at the back of your mind as we study this passage. The first groaning is the groaning of creation. And I want to read one particular verse again which is verse 20. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Now, who was that one? Some Bible scholars say that is God who subjected a creation to frustration because he is the sovereign God and therefore he is going to redeem all of creation. But if you carefully read the first three chapters of Genesis, and those of you who attended uh, my session on From a Garden to a City last year, you would have noticed that when God creates the world, Genesis chapter 1, creates us in his image, 
and puts creation under our charge, he gives us a particular responsibility and is also indicating that creation is dependent on us. And when in Genesis chapter 3, we rebel against God, he immediately gives us at least two signs, one to the woman and the other to the man, that creation is now being subjected to frustration. Childbearing for the woman would become painful. Work for the man will become toil. You know, when you don't read the Bible properly, and if you are working in the marketplace, and your boss is one of the worst bosses in the world, you will come to the conclusion that work is part of the curse. That is simply not true. There was work in Genesis chapter 2 before we rebelled against God. Genesis 2 verse 15, God says to Adam and Eve, you shall work the land and keep the land. The Hebrew word for work, avad, also is used for worship. The Hebrew word for keeping the land, shamar, is also used for keeping the commandments. And that's one of the reasons why the Jewish people, small as they are in their population, have contributed so much to science and technology, to art and music and everything else. They won more Nobel Prizes per capita than any other nation in the world. And that is because for them, creation was God's gift to them to be good stewards. But when we read Genesis chapter 3, that work for man becomes toil. Childbearing for the woman becomes painful. And so we must remember, coming back to my verse 20, where we talked about uh, who subjected uh, creation to frustration. We subjected to creation to frustration. Don't let us pass the buck on to God, because God put creation under our choice. And when we walked out on God, we dragged creation down along with us. And please remember, which is why as we were looking at some of the videos, your interest in praying for the city, praying for its incomplete flyovers. I love that. Uh, yesterday we were going to visit a friend on this uh, Kotanur Bagalur Road and we saw some answers to your prayer already. Because that was, I think, from creation it was incomplete. I thought <laughs> it's going to be completed in the... Uh, near future as a civil engineer when I looked at it, I think a lot of good things are happening. Maybe in the next few months, you should be having that flyover. It's, frust it's subject to frustration because of our disobedience, which is why when Christians are involved in recycling, in environmental issues, you're on the right track. Please don't think it is otherwise. I'll tell you um, a little more about it. But those of you who are interested in Christian environmental activities, I want you to go to a website called Arocha, A-R-O-C-H-A dot O-R-G. Arocha in Portuguese is the rock. It's a completely evangelical environmental organization. And you will see uh, what they are doing around the world. In fact, till recently, I think it was year before last, the man in India was based here in Bangalore. He was an expert on elephants. He died um, rather suddenly of a heart attack. But I want to tell you that the whole understanding of interest in environment is part of God's requirement of us. He wants us to be stewards of his creation. And this morning when Maman was reeling, uh, leading our worship, he talked about the trees of the uh, field clapping their hands. 
You know, I want to tell you when we worship God, creation is also going to join us in worshiping God. And in the new creation, we will not be joining the heavenly host. The heavenly host will be joining us. If you look at Revelation chapter 7, it is those people with palms in their hands, uh, with robes washed white in the blood of the Lamb. We will set the tone for worship. And the, all the angels and the 24 elders, they will join us. Creation will join us. So we are the centerpiece of God's creation. Because we are the only creatures made in the image of God. Angels are not made in the image of God. And so we begin to see that our role as Christians, as part of nature, is extremely important. But I want to tell you something else. Because we humans are also a combination of spirit and matter. Now, I'm not talking about soul-spirit distinction, but when you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, God, who is spirit, creates the heavens and the earth, which are matter. When you come to Genesis 2, verse 7, God forms the man from the dust of the ground, matter, and breathes into him the breath of life, and the first human being comes into existence. And that is why we are going to be part matter and part spirit. And if Jesus, God the Son, became the human Jesus, he has put a seal of approval on that material creation. And that's why creation is waiting, groaning, for the redemption of the children of God. I do not know how many of you watched a video of Ben-Hur recently. Because I'm going to teach you how to watch movies. Theology of movie watching. Okay. Now, there's a very interesting scene there. Charlton Heston plays, um, uh, plays Ben-Hur, a Jewish prince who believes in the true God. And he's captured, falsely accused, and he's in a Roman battleship. He's in the galley as one of the slaves just doing the rowing. Uh, the admiral is on that ship, played by Jack Hawkins. And he looks at the slaves, and for some reason, he has mercy on uh, Ben-Hur, and he releases him. So he's able to move about freely. But that night, in a battle against an enemy fleet, the admiral's ship is destroyed. And the admiral and Ben-Hur are floating on a raft. And when the admiral realizes that his own ship has been destroyed, he assumes that the Roman fleet had lost the battle. And he's about to kill himself when Ben-Hur prevents him, and they become very uh, friends of each other. Soon thereafter, that raft is being rescued by a Roman ship. And the admiral hears the good news that although his own ship was destroyed, the Roman fleet had won the battle. Do you remember what the admiral says to Ben-Hur? Some good theology in that. He says, your God, in his eagerness to save you, has saved the whole Roman fleet. Our God in his eagerness to save us, is redeeming the whole of creation. Please remember that. That's exactly why we are looking forward to the redemption of creation. And all that we are doing now, if, you are, if God is leading you to do something for Bangalore, my wife was telling me recently that there was a, was it a United Nations report that Bangalore will become a waterless city. Uh, one city which has already become waterless is Cape Town. And that's horrible. God gave this creation to us, and we have been absolutely polluting it, and we find ourselves 
Please take the whole of creation as part of your mandate. And saving of human beings is part of the whole project of God. Which is why the Bible ends with a new creation. Not simply with the church. Please remember. Now we come to the second groaning. Which is about Paul saying, we ourselves are groaning. Now where does he say that? In verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly. You know, I was looking at your announcement uh, about the 23rd of February, where you have put worship and prayer together for that two-hour program. I want to tell you how worship should influence prayer. Worship is not something that stands by itself. Worship is affirming the reality and the glory of God. And prayer is praying for people who are perishing. And we are also working for creation which has been polluted. And when we do that, we begin to groan. And groaning is part of praying. Please remember there is no key to effortless success. You know, destined to reign is right. We are reigning. That's why we are responsible for all that God has put under our charge. But that is no key to effortless success. In a fallen world where God has called us to represent him, the church is to represent God to his creation. I do not know how you can do that without groaning, without identifying with the pain of creation, with the pain of people who were uh, described, our um, sister here, when she talked about living free program. And that's part of it. And you are doing it already. But please remember that when you come to Adonai and worship here, don't come simply to get something from God. No, that's absolutely essential. Even the very breath that I breathe is from God. But please ask God, in what way can I participate in what the church is doing? In the groaning of ourselves as God's people on behalf of God's creation. Learn to do that. Because without that groaning, there is no way. Now, one of the reasons why I told you to ignore the titles given by the translators, and here in my NIV, the title is Future Glory, is uh, Paul is connecting it with what he says earlier. Earlier about sanctification, about living a holy life, how sin cannot have mastery over you. And I want to tell you that we Christians who want to follow Christ, we have three enemies. The first enemy is the world. Now, when uh, the Bible uses the word world, I've said this uh, earlier in, the, in, our, in Adonai, the word world is cosmos. It is used in three different uh, contexts in the Bible. John 3.16, God so loved the world, is a world of people. Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world, is the created world. But one John Chapter 2, verse 14, do not love the world, same word used in the Greek, actually means the values of the fallen world system over which Satan presides. So when we are rejecting the world, we are rejecting the certain value systems 
a worldview which Satan has cultivated all these years because we rebelled against God. We gave place to Satan in God's creation and he's constantly taking us for a ride. And we Christians very often fall into the world system of values, even in the churches. Now, why is this idea that when a church is big, thousands of people, it's a successful church? We got it from the politician. And when a political a leader has a campaign, he even brings people by lorries. I remember 1977 election, after the emergency, when Mrs. Gandhi was soundly defeated. Uh, my wife and I, I was posted in Delhi, and it was very dangerous. We were going in a scooter to a Janata Party election campaign. We had to park the scooter far away and walk about a kilometer and a half to listen to this Thuglak man, Cho Ramaswamy, if you remember. Some of you from Tamil Nadu. And he said, now, those who are attending Mrs. Gandhi's um, campaigns are only lorries because nobody is coming to listen to them. That's where we got this value. The bigger the church, the better. In fact, there's one other book which has come which uh, I don't know leadership, I think you have to get hold of it. Uh, it's very recently published. I have not read it. I was uh, referred to it by a good friend, a couple, with whom we spent some time in Hyderabad. It's called Sustainable Church by Walt Russell. He says how the church should be built around the sheep and not around the shepherd. In fact, that book was so revolutionary that many of the senior pastors in American churches completely wrote negative comments about the book. But I think Walt Russell is on the right track. He's rejecting one important value of the world system. So the first thing that we have to be groaning about is the world system of values. Fighting against it is very difficult because it comes in a way without even our realizing. As you read the newspapers, as you watch the TV, you begin to get into the world system of values without even knowing it. And I want to tell you that visual way of looking at things, when you read something, it doesn't influence you directly. You have to process it in your mind. But when you see something, that influences you by bypassing the mind. That's why visual addictions are stronger than any other addictions. But please don't fall into the lust of the eye. Lust of the eye is somewhere where your mind is no longer able to filter out what is wrong. So the first reason for our groaning is that we are fighting against a world system of values. The second groaning is because we are uh, fighting against our own flesh, our fallen nature. And that's why Paul says, I'm waiting for the redemption of our bodies when the, our fallen nature will also be totally eradicated. Till then, we have to fight against our fallen nature. It constantly makes us to do the wrong thing because it's fallen and if we are used to a certain habit of thinking, that habit will come back to you and it will come back to haunt you. Unless you force yourself, you discipline yourself, you become to a habit of right thinking. I'm reading a book, I mentioned it yesterday, uh, Virtue Reborn by N.T. Wright. And he talks about uh, the London city uh, taxi drivers. If you've been to London, you cannot get a driver's license of a cab unless you pass a knowledge test. And the knowledge test is about London's streets. Which streets are one way? Which streets are likely to be um, under heavy traffic? And so these taxi drivers have to study that before they can get a license to drive a cab in London City. 
and neuroscientists discovered that that part of their brain was bigger which had to think and memorize this and that's one of the reasons why we fall into the problem of a mental habit because that particular habit as somebody else i think it was michael ramston was telling us that people who are addicted to pornography have that part of their brain which is bigger people who play rafael nadal plays with his left hand his left hand muscle is bigger than his right hand muscle those of you who have watched him and so the brain is also a muscle it gets developed on a way in which you think and to fight against it it requires effort there is no key to painless success no rubbish you have to learn to fight against it yesterday i quoted from second corinthians 10 verses 4 and 5 paul is talking about strongholds and what does he say bringing every thought captive to the obedience of christ but the third groaning is because of the devil i want to tell you that the devil has no original jurisdiction over god's creation but because we humans have abdicated our position genesis chapter 3 now the devil seems to have access to some of these areas and i want to tell you that when you carefully read about satan in scripture there are many uh, passages although uh, we rarely have a systematic study of satan but you find that very often satan begins to operate in those areas and fighting against the devil now please remember when jesus died on the cross one of the points about the cross that we don't often think about we only talk about that jesus died for our sins which is true but there were many things that were happening on the cross let me take you back quickly to if you look at genesis 3 uh, verse 16 uh, which is what god is speaking to the woman to eve in the first part he says i will greatly increase your pain in childbearing which is understandable but the second part of that verse is a bit intriguing You know what he says your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you now if i asked wives here whether it's a good thing or a bad thing or a mixture your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you what would your answer be but let me translate that because the word uh, desire is the shuka which occurs on the, in the next chapter chapter 4 verse 7 god says to cain before he murders abel sin desires to have you so that word actually means a manipulative desire so god is telling the wife you will use your feminine charm to control and manipulate your husband and the dumb macho man will not know how to respond except by dominating you so it's domination and control from a position of strength and even from a position of weakness those of you who have children 2 3 years you know how a child can manipulate one parent against the other they have not yet started going to bangalore university but it's in their genes that is control and when jesus died on the cross he chose to lose control i want to tell you it's very important which is why satan is confused he does not know whether to send jesus to the cross or to keep jesus from going to the cross in matthew 16 peter makes the great confession you are the christ the son of the living god but immediately jesus talks about his suffering and then peter says you should not suffer you are the messiah and jesus in a very exceptional way 
rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Because Satan was prompting Peter to keep Jesus from going to the cross. But the same Satan enters Judas, John chapter 13, and sends him to the cross. Satan does not know whether to keep Jesus from going to the cross or send him to the cross. And when Pilate put that sign, King of the Jews, on top of Jesus' cross, the Jewish leaders were upset. They said, we want you to uh, put this sign. He said he is the king of the Jews. Pilate almost speaks like a prophet. What I have written, I have written. But you know, Pilate, without realizing it, he was declaring that Jesus truly became king on the cross. Let me give you two references, which you can note down and read for yourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, where Paul talks about the rulers of this world, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory if they knew that they were pronouncing their own destruction. In Colossians 2 verse 15, Paul says the same thing. He disarmed principalities and powers, putting them to an open shame by his death on the cross. I want to tell you, Satan can be conquered only through the cross of Jesus. But now in our lives, Satan is a defeated foe. You don't have to defeat him in the way that Jesus defeated him. No. We are fighting a defeated foe. Like we saw in Jehoshaphat's video. But what is happening is we have to carry our crosses in order to defeat Satan. Because Satan will again be confused when you carry the cross. The cross is anything that God may allow in your life which helps you to die to yourself. I believe on one Sunday, the pastor was preaching on the cross. And as he was greeting the people at the end of the service, a lady came to him and she said, you know, I have a bad temper. I think that's my cross. And the pastor told her, dear lady, that's not your cross. That's your husband's cross. Anything that God brings into your life, very often through a circumstance. I don't want to go here and there, but if you're taking notes, note down Hebrews chapter 12. You know, the first part of that chapter is about discipline. The discipline that God allows in our lives. That's another way you can look at the cross. That is anything that God permits in your life, you should willingly take up. And that is why carrying the cross is always final thing is with you and me. God will not put a cross on you and say you should carry it. Jesus always said, you should take up your cross. That means you must recognize the element of self-denial that is built into that particular environment, particular circumstance, even a particular person. You know, when you read Second Corinthians 12, Paul is talking about a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that thorn in the flesh, he doesn't say that. But a very interesting word is used in the Greek, a messenger of Satan. And so some Bible scholars think that it was a person with whom Paul had to live, who proved to be a thorn in the flesh. I don't know. When we meet Paul, we'll have to ask him that. But don't immediately say to your spouse, you are the thorn in my flesh. Uh, that is, it's, I'm not giving you a license to say that. I'm just saying that God allows, sovereignly allows, certain circumstances, certain areas of your life, certain people, certain situations in which God wants to recognize a cross in which you have to die to yourself. Otherwise, you will be giving a place to the devil. And that is central. 
And so what we are seeing here is the groaning that takes place because of our death to ourselves. Because that is where Satan is fully and finally defeated. Now we come to the last groaning, which is the groaning of the spirit. Now this morning I had the privilege of discussing this with Pastor Victor. Now one of the things why, why I enjoy coming here is I, I stay in their home. And this time my wife is enjoying their hospitality as well. And then we spend time picking each other's brains. Have you tried picking each other's brains? It's a very biblical exercise. One man sharpens another as iron sharpens iron. You check it out. That's part of the gift of the spirit. You know, I've often felt that gifts of the spirit should be exercised in the body of Christ, where we exercise it together. Now, I come on a teaching spree, and somebody comes on a prophetic spree, and somebody comes on an evangelistic spree. But God has given those gifts to you in Adonai. You have to begin to discover, cultivate those gifts, and exercise them together as a body. Probably we will see greater displays of God's power when it happens that way, instead of limiting ourselves or waiting for experts to arrive on the scene. So please um, look for it that way. Now, when it comes to the third groan, uh, this is the groaning of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. And I want to uh, take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I'm going to read a paragraph to you. There's a paragraph beginning at verse 13. This reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I say? What shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, and I will also pray with my mind. Uh, the NIV unfortunately has the word but, but in their later translation they have corrected this mistake. It's not but, it's and. In fact, if you want to translate it accurately, uh, on the one hand, I will pray in the spirit, and on the other hand, I will pray with my mind. On the one hand, I will sing in the spirit, and on the other hand, I will sing with my mind. And what, uh, whenever Paul mentions here, praying in the spirit, he's talking about praying in tongues. Now, let me say something about Paul's gift passages, three of them, in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and here in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. But tongues are mentioned only in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. And he says, whenever he talks about gift, in all these three passages, he says, it is for the common good. And therefore, the gift of tongues, if it is meant for the common good, it should always be accompanied by the gift of interpretation. But this particular activity of the tongue, I have come to call the faculty of tongue, in which you are able to commune with God. And when you pray in a tongue, your mind is unfruitful, but your spirit is edified. Paul says that at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 14. Now let me try to unpack this for you. And I want the Spirit of God to confirm this to you. Don't simply say, LT said this, so I take it. Or LT says this, so I'm rejecting it. Don't do that. Let the Lord affirm it to you. You know, when you are praying in the Spirit... Why does Paul say that he's caught in a dilemma? What shall I do then? He says, I'll pray in the spirit and I will also pray with my mind. I will sing in the spirit or worship in the spirit and I will also worship with my mind. Why does he feel this as a tension? Because they seem to be opposed to each other. 
But Paul is actually saying no. They have to contribute at two different levels of your personality. Now those of you who may have a background in psychology, I want you to follow carefully what I'm saying. I'll even be happy to talk to you after the service is over. We all know that when you take our mind, the conscious mind of a human being is only about 10%. It's the tip of the iceberg. The subconscious mind is the larger part of your consciousness. And the subconscious is fed by the conscious mind. See, that is how habits of thinking are formed. You begin to think in a particular way and it slowly sinks into your subconscious. And even when you are not conscious of it, the subconscious suggests it to you and you do something wrong. And you do something right as well. Now what Paul is saying here, let me unpack this for you. First we'll take prayer. I'll pray in the spirit and I will also pray with my mind. Now that I've been to Adonai many times, I do pray for you. And some of the needs have been shared with me. Some of the needs have not been shared with me. So with a conscious mind, I develop a burden to pray for Adonai Church. But when I am praying for you, the Spirit of God through me with groanings that words cannot express may pray for something that you did not share with me. But I know that I am praying for you, but I do not know what particular detail of Adonai I am praying for you. That's the way the Spirit of God begins to pray through you. Through the faculty of tongues. Words cannot express it. Because you have not grasped it through your conscious mind. In the same way. But I want to tell you, as you consciously begin to worship God, truth of God's glory sinks into your subconscious. And when you are worshiping God, the words of a language may fail to express what you want to say to God. But it is not surprising that God should give you a language in which you can truly worship him. So never put praying in tongues and praying in the spirit as against each other. One complements the other. And that's why Paul, as a result of that tension, what shall I do then? He says, I'll pray in the spirit and I will also pray with my mind. I will sing in the spirit and I will also sing with my mind. Because it is through my mind, through my conscious part of my personality. I am feeding the subconscious with all that God wants my subconscious to carry. And displace all the horrible things that occupy my subconscious. So that when I now communicate to God in worship and I pray for others in the spirit, God gives you and me languages Languages which are not understandable words, but in which the Spirit of God is expressing His groaning. What a glorious thing. So groaning is a biblical topic. I think that for the first time in your life, you heard a sermon on groaning, but I want you to go and read through these scriptures. The groaning of creation. The groaning of creation. You know, when God comes to Abraham, this is Genesis chapter 18, um, he talks about the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah has been great. And one of the things I was um, thinking about was, what was the outcry? Who cried out against Sodom? Because the whole of Sodom and Gomorrah were in sin. And it suddenly appealed to me. This was many years ago. Uh, I don't want to mention the name of this gentleman. I don't think he's even alive. Uh, he was chief minister of Himachal Pradesh. 
and under his rule the forests of himachal pradesh were being destroyed and this was an india today reporter was not a christian and you know what he wrote every leaf on every tree in himachal pradesh is crying out against mr so and so oh i thought very good so that must be what is happening in sodom and gomorrah because all the human beings are living in sin and so even nature in sodom and gomorrah is probably crying out to god because the original hebrew is the outcry against sodom and gomorrah see when people are in sin who is going to cry out against the city except nature and i begin to see this was nature in sodom and gomorrah which was groaning because of the sin of human beings who lived there please remember as a big connection i'm almost talking like meeda patkar but i am not meeda patkar kind of an environmentalist because she is not a theologian she is not a biblically understanding the problem uh, we are going one step more than anybody else it is because of human sin human greed that creation is groaning my batch of students from iit uh, we are the first batch from iit madras uh, we received our degrees from sir c v raman who used to live in bangalore and you know what sir c v told us i will never forget more than 50 years ago he said you engineers and technologists when you leave this institution you will be tempted to prostitute your knowledge for the satisfaction of human greed what strong words and i thought to myself that's exactly what's happening we are all advanced but we are using knowledge for the wrong reason to satisfy human greed which can plunder god's creation groaning of creation secondly we are groaning waiting for the redemption of our what look 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 of our souls of our bodies please why does it say bodies because our bodies will be resurrected god is not just a savior of our souls but he's a savior of our bodies which is why in this life we minister to people physically your school here sridian but you uh, give lunch to the children feeding the bodies and because we are body soul and spirit jesus ministered to bodies but not just that he was raised again physically and paul says in a number of passages we will be raised again physically that we will have glorified bodies you know when jesus rose from the dead jesus raised lazarus from the dead he first had to have the stone moved away and then he calls lazarus out and the clothes that were wrapped around his body had to be removed but when you look at jesus resurrection his resurrected body which is also a physical body it went through the clothes that's why the clothes were exactly in the same position as the body was his body could go through the stone at the mouth of the grave because when the angel rolls away the stone you don't see jesus walking out the angel tells the women you are looking for him in the wrong place he is not here he has risen his resurrection body could come through the walls of the upper room and he could appear to the disciples and he could be touched i think i mentioned this story last year when i came here but i'll repeat it you know in our city of pune lives one of our brilliant mathematical minds jayanth narlika is a mathematical physicist worked with sir fred hoyle in the uk he is from kolhapur but he lives in um, in pune 
And in the 1960s, I read a story written by him. I didn't fully understand it at that time. It was a pure science fiction. He, this uh, story was called The House. And he said in the story, if I built an 11-dimensioned house, you with your three-dimensioned bodies could go through that house without facing any obstruction. Because a higher dimension physical body will not resist lower dimension physical bodies. And it slowly began to dawn on me, Jesus was raised physically to a higher dimension. That's one of the reasons why after his resurrection, he could not be recognized very often by his own disciples. And his resurrected body of a higher dimension came through all this clothes and stone and wall. And when they began to doubt him, he could come down to three dimensions and allow himself to be touched and he could eat. This is good mathematics and good physics. Shame on all of you who hate those two subjects. Because they are God's most favorite subjects. And when he comes again, we are all going to be doing some mathematics and physics. Because it is a new creation of a new dimension. Which is why we are waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Because our resurrected body will not house this fallen nature. I was talking to the chaplains of Baptist Mission Hospitals. They were the finest bunch of chaplains I've come across. They've led so many people to Christ, patients, as well as in the community. But I told them one thing. When you are witnessing to a terminally ill patient, please lead that patient to Christ. But also tell him that when he puts his faith in Christ, his body is going to be raised cancer-free. Think about it. That means you will have an existence, a physical existence, where you will be pain-free. True pain-free comes there, not here. And cancer-free. What a glorious message. And thirdly, groaning of the Spirit. And the Spirit of God groans through us. Those, the one who is praying for us is the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in John 17, he even says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm only praying for these people whom you have given to me. Who will pray for the world? We will pray for the world. But how will we pray? Through the Spirit, in the Spirit, with groanings which words cannot express. My dear people, I want you to begin to see that this is reality. This is the reality in which we live. And we are worshipping a risen Savior. We are fighting a defeated foe. And we are awaiting the resurrection of our bodies. And so let us press on. Let us follow Christ. Take up our crosses and follow him in self-denial. And God will be glorified. And you will be blessed. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com.